Uh, welcome this morning. Uh, my name is Mark Duncan. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Salem. It's your, if this is your first Sunday here, I just want to say a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you're with us today. Uh, if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Psalms chapter 42 today. Psalms chapter 42. We have been in a series over the, the last few weeks in the summer uh, called Jira. Kind of an unusual name for this series. It's really a, uh, an identification. It's a title of God, Jaira being uh, that the Lord is provider, really speaks to the essence of his character and the way that he provides. And so over the last couple of months, we've seen that the Lord provides our salvation, that the Lord provides strength, that he provides direction, forgiveness, peace, help, and love, right? And, and we've looked at those things and kind of dived into each one. And I think that you can hear all of those things and still be amazed at the way that God provides. And still in that moment, there may be some of us here today that says, I am glad that I know all of those things about the way that God provides, but there's still a question in the back of your mind of like, so what? All right, so what? What does that mean for me today? Like, I know that those things are true, but why won't God provide the things that I need when I want him to do that? Does that question ever hit your heart? Like, I believe that God is those things that we've talked about, that he provides those things. But maybe I'm in a place this morning where I'm desperate for him to work, to provide, but it doesn't seem that he's providing for me in the moment, right? But, you know, and that's important because... Where do you and I live in the moment? Like we live now. This is our life happening around us, and sometimes we're left with that question. And so I, what I believe this morning is up to this point, if you've been and you've seen how God provides, and none of those things really grabs you by the heart because right in front of you, things aren't changing in your situation. I believe today that the Lord wants to meet you in Psalms 42. Um, and so if you've got your Bible, let's go ahead and read it. I'm going to guarantee, before I read, I could take a, a, a poll on this, that probably everyone in this room that's read Psalm 42 before will remember the first two verses. But you probably don't remember what comes next, okay? So let me read it here for you. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Right? Sounds familiar, right? If you grew up in a church or youth group in the 90s, there's probably a song going through your head about a deer panting for the water, right? Like you could all sing that probably if I asked you to. All right, but it doesn't stop there with this idyllic picture of a deer drinking at the river. Okay, let's keep going. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God." My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have gone over me. 
By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What we're looking at this morning, as we go back to see what the Lord provides, is that the Lord provides hope. Hope. The Lord provides hope. There's a couple things. As I was reading Psalms 42, I remembered back earlier in the summer when we were looking over the teaching plan for this series. And I remember looking at Psalms 42 briefly at the first few verses like, oh good, it's the deer panting by streams of living water. This is going to be great. You know, we can talk about how we all need to hunger and thirst for the Lord. And honestly, that was really where I started until I dove into the passage this week in my quiet time. I felt like I walked away with a very different reality and something I think that's important for us to grab onto If you read Psalms 42, well, I love the first two verses and the illustration that that paints of like me honestly like wanting God and panting for him like this deer. The rest of the chapter is basically like the outpour of the soul of the author. And some of this stuff is kind of hard to to take in. It's painful. Uh, it's, not, it's not pleasant to look at. It's not that sappy, sappy song from back in the day where everything sounded good and, and we all felt good about it when we sang it. This is, this is real life happening in this person's life. There's a lot of questions is this, if this is David or if this is uh, the, song, the sons of Korah, which you may mention in your Bible, and who wrote it. It doesn't matter exactly which author wrote it because it's in the Bible, which means that God has said it. And if, if God has said these things, it didn't slip past the editor, right? So that must mean that God wants us to take away something about this turmoil that's in the middle of this man's soul. And I have a, an illustration I think that, that's helpful to kind of get us in the right frame of mind. This picture of a, of a whirlpool. Thankfully, I'm pretty sure no whirlpools like that actually exist in the world. At least I hope not. That's kind of terrifying. But you see, just throughout this chapter, this back and forth that the author has of like where he's proclaiming things that are true about God and he's confident in those things. And then literally, like in the next stanza, he's talking about things about his tears being his food, right? Or or feeling forgotten about by God and wrestling with that. Just this back and forth turmoil that's in his soul. And I think that for all of us probably on some level, and maybe many of us specifically have been in a season that felt like we were swirling around the whirlpool. Like we didn't cause it, we were just out minding our business, right, on the ocean of life, just doing our thing, and then all of a sudden, this hole opened up, and before I knew it, I was drawn into the middle of what was happening, without any choice in the matter, and maybe that was a long time, where it felt like I'm going around the drain, so to speak, and nothing is changing, and I'm getting deeper and deeper and deeper in that. This is where I believe while that picture of the stream is beautiful, and there's truth to that, and we'll get to that in a second, I believe what God wants you to know is that he is meeting you right there in the middle of the whirlpool today. 
That's what he wants you to know. And so I'm going to say a couple of things. As looking through the emotion that's in this passage and the things that he's grappling with, some things that need to be said, especially maybe something that you have not heard from a pastor or from a pulpit before in church. Here's the first one. It's an important observation. A lack of perpetual giddy happiness is not a sign of a weak faith. What do I mean by that? I don't know if you were raised like I was, specifically in the South. Uh, one, when people ask you how you're doing, how do you say? I'm fine. Like everything is fine, right? Everything is great. And when you go to church, what are you wearing? A big smile, right? Because we're going to be happy in the house of the Lord. Lest someone think that we are in a place of doubt. Like we're in a place where we can't handle it. So we put a lot of effort into maintaining this appearance of happiness, right? And satisfaction. Can you feel that? I feel that. So much so that sometimes when we aren't feeling it, and maybe that was you today, even in the services, we see people around us that are lifting those hands in worship. There may be even like a critical spirit in the back of your mind. It's like, I wonder if they are actually legitimately meaning the things that they say, because in my heart, I don't feel that way today. But if this is David writing this, and as we'll see here, his faith was not, was not shaken in that he didn't believe that something was, what God had said is true was no longer true, but he was dealing with the emotions, right? So happiness is not a, or the lack of happiness is not a sign of weak faith. There's another one. People who trust in God still experience deep brokenness in the world and in themselves. People with complete trust in God still experience brokenness. That's for pastors. That's for everyone. We wrestle with that. Why? Because I am broken. Sin has broken me. I experienced pain and difficulty that was never intended for me. And you see that poured out in the pages here that the author has written. He is broken. He is in distress. He hasn't lost trust in God because he keeps preaching to himself, right? Here's the next one. People who hope in God can still touch the depths of depression. You know that? You know, you can, you can actually be depressed in your spirit and experience that and at the same time have hope in God. So many of us have been trained that that can't be true, right? I can't, I can't really be putting my hope in God and be, and be in, in turmoil in my soul. Somehow that's a lie, right? We believe that lie as if God made us somehow without emotions, all right? I can, I can experience that and still be hoping in God at the same time. It's a weird paradox. People who believe in God's power can still wrestle with crippling doubt. What do you think of that? Do you see the confidence, like, even in the passage there, as he writes out, like, I know I'm going to have reason to praise you again. Like, that's him, like, affirming, like, God, I know you're going to take care of things, but... I'm really struggling to see that. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of tension in it. I can believe that God is powerful, and still, day to day, I can still struggle with crippling doubt. Here's the last one. People who are secure in Christ still grapple with fear. It's still, still a day-to-day -day reality of my experience. Why am I taking this time to highlight that? This isn't even the, the point of the sermon, really, so much as it is an observation of the text, as I'm reading that this week. One, because some of us have been fed some really bad information. I think over our lifetime, you can't point a finger at any one particular place to say that Christians, 
mature Christians who are following Jesus, who are experiencing life in Christ, and most certainly are becoming a new creation, somehow are not going to experience the pain, the brokenness of the world, and that's within themselves in their life. That's, that's somehow we've, we've fed into that lie. So much so that when we have things going on, well, maybe you're like that picture of the whirlpool, a situation in your life that is consuming you, it's, it's shameful for you as a Christian to talk about that. We don't bring those things up. We don't address those things. I'm not supposed to be experiencing that, right? That's what we do because we believe the lie. And what God wants you to hear this morning is that this is a reality. Even, even in someone that is walking closely with him, that these are things that we grapple with. But also that he doesn't leave us in that place without the hope that he provides. Look how he goes back to in verse 5 and verse 11. It's the same refrain. He says, hope in God. Hope in God. So this is, this is my... My big thought for us today, uh, as we, maybe you're in that place this morning, maybe you're in the whirlpool right now in a situation in your life, it feels overwhelming, it feels like you've been abandoned, it feels like you've been hurt and there's no way out of that. God is offering to give you hope in that. The, the hope of the Lord is a lifeline for his people. It's a lifeline. It's something that I have to hold on to not a, a, like a Disney Channel version of hope, right? Where Pinocchio is looking out the window at the star and Jiminy Cricket's on his shoulder saying, if you wish upon a star. It's not an aspirational thing where I, where I cross my fingers and my toes and pray, pray, pray that things change. That lifeline is a confident reminder of who God's char- what his character is. And what he's promised to me. And while it will, doesn't always make the whirlpool subside instantly, it's a lifeline as I'm going around. Okay? So we'll look at three, three ways uh, that the, Lord is a, the hope of the Lord is a lifeline for his people. But I think it's important just quickly to clarify what we mean by hope. It's a, a really simple definition of hope. Four, four words. You can remember this. To wait with expectation. To wait with expectation. See, I think we don't, we don't consider, we want the expectation part of hope, but we don't necessarily like the waiting part. <laughs> like, I don't wait very well. I don't know about you. Like, if there's like more than one or two cars in the drive through line, like, I, I'm very impatient, you know? And it's like, how long do you need to take to order? Like, I'm the kind of person that likes, they know what their order is before they get in the drive through line, right? Some of you are like that. Some of you have dated or married the other kind of person, right, that's in the car. You're last, it's true. And they're like, they get to, to the ordering like station and then they're like, hmm, what do I want? You know, and like, do I want that? And then like the, the drive through person's like, may I take your order? And you're like, we're probably going to need a few minutes. And like, you got people behind you. Like, we don't, we don't like to wait, right? Some of us really don't like to wait. And if we're in the middle of, of a situation in our life where it feels like I'm, I'm caught up, in this whirlpool of events, of circumstances, of emotions I'm dealing with, then waiting sometimes actually feels a little irresponsible, to be quite honest, at best, and honestly soul-crushing at its worst. You mean God's, God's best for me right now 
is not to, to, to generate something healthy for myself. Like God's best is for me to, to wait on him to do something. And that that's exactly what he is inviting us to do. You know, I'm to be honest with you. Step aside for a second. When I, when I was in that, this passage, uh, it took until Tuesday, okay? So Monday, Monday I went through it uh, in, in a Bible reading plan, and I'm studying that for myself. It wasn't until Tuesday where I started feeling like, God, I feel like you're taking this in a, a different direction um, than the deer by the water. Uh, and I was scared. I was scared, to be honest, because I knew that that was going to cause me to do some really deep diving into some things that have been difficult parts of my story. Uh, and, and this is the thing. I did not have uh, Psalm, I did have Psalm 42. Like it wasn't like it was not available to me, but at the moment that was not where God was meeting me at in Psalm 42. But as I'm looking through how, how David responds in the turmoil of his soul and what he did in response to that while he waited, I saw myself, I did some of the same things. Just to give a little background, I don't have time to go into the story of, of God's faithfulness in, in its full extent in that chapter. But I went through a very difficult season a little over 10 years ago. Uh, a lot of that was, was broken relationships and ultimately division in church. It was painful. I was a pastor, and uh, the point that I was, I was broken by what had happened, uh, to, I could not operate like in a normal way. I could not give care to people. I was experiencing physical symptoms I'd never experienced before, and I got to a place where probably from the outside, a lot of people would say I did something incredibly irresponsible, but I felt like God was meeting me even in that place, uh, and I actually stepped out of full-time vocational ministry. Uh, I didn't have like a great exit strategy or a perfect game plan. Thankfully, I had some, some friends that were looking out for me, but even in that, there, there were a lot of people that I had spent a lot of time investing in and loving on and walking with them through dark seasons in, in, their, in their story who I, I no longer felt like, I didn't feel like I had anyone like that. Like I, I knew there were people that loved me and cared about me, but like, who do I talk to? Like as a pastor, who do you talk to <laughs> when you're swirling in, in your emotions and you don't know what to do and when you're discouraged? And later I actually went to see a counselor and it's being very vulnerable I'm not ashamed of that, all right? You should not feel shame of, of needing to talk with someone. Uh, I went to talk to a, count, a counselor. He's a, a Methodist minister in his 80s. Had a lot of perspective on things that happen in churches. Uh, and he's like, Mark, he's like, um, the reason you're feeling this way and the, and the things that you're experiencing is like, those are signs of depression. And I'm like, no, it's like, no, you don't, you misunderstand. Like I, I'm in a great place with the Lord. Like I, I mean, I'm in his word, I'm praying every, he's like, he's like, Mark, he's like, you are depressed. He's like, you don't need to wear that. Like that's a, like that's a badge of shame before the Lord. You need to go, go before the Lord as you are and have confidence in him. And that was difficult for me to kind of accept that fact. Like how did this happen? How do I get to a place where the, the circumstances of my life were pushing me down so much that I could not see a way out of that? How did I find myself? I felt very much that whirlpool was all too real for me in that situation. It's like I didn't cause this whirlpool. This is something that other people did that I got dragged, drug into is what it felt like to me. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're like, there are things that have happened in my life. Maybe you're in that situation today. It's like through no fault of my own. I, I'm here. I'm in this place. 
And I think for me, there was a, a really big struggle to acknowledge that God was not disappointed in me in that moment. And that, you know, even though I, I, learned, I, yearned, I yearned for people to come alongside me and to, to care for me, I also acknowledged maybe they didn't really know how to do that. You know, for a, what do you do with a pastor that's broken? I don't know. Well, I do now. But it forced me to do what I believe David highlights for us today. So I don't know if that's you this morning. I don't know if you're in a place that feels heavy and weighty like that. And I'm sorry if you thought that when you came to church this morning, it was going to be like the most lighthearted and encouraging sermon. I believe it is encouraging, but we may have to kind of like move through some rough waters to see the beauty of the hope of the Lord, right? So can we just commit to do that this morning? Let's go back to the passage here and give us the first reason that the hope of the Lord is a lifeline. Here it is. The hope God provides invites me to run to his presence instead of retreating in my sorrows. God's hope invites me to run to his presence instead of retreating in my sorrows. Where do I get that from? Okay, so verse one again, the deer panting for flowing streams. So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you. For the living God, he emphasizes that again, just to be clear. I believe that there's, like, you have life. When shall I come and appear before God? Like, what is he desiring? What is he desiring when he's comparing himself to this deer by the water? He wants to be in the presence of the Lord. He knows that in the presence of the Lord, that is where life is found. It's not found apart from him. But as he comes, look at how he comes. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? What's interesting about deep sorrow, deep sorrow of the soul, is it very rarely provokes me to be with anyone. It very rarely provokes me to be like, I need to surround myself with people. Uh, especially if you're wired the way that I am, typically when it, in the, the depths of sorrow, what, is it, what does it drive you to do? Separate and isolate. I'm ashamed to admit that's exactly what it did in many ways at the beginning with, in, my, in my walk with the Lord in that time. Is that I did not even want to be close to God because I felt like if, if I was going to be close to him in that moment, then that was going to really bring up some things about me that I didn't want to see. Or I presupposed in my mind that that would bring shame. You know, and so I'm just honestly contracted within myself, just like spiraling around that whirlpool gets closer and closer to the middle as you go, as I'm going down. That's what sorrow does. It doesn't tend to draw me to anyone. It tends to, to make me pull away. And so David, even though he like fully admits, like I'm a mess. I don't know whether figurative, literally, but like I, all, I've, all I've done is cried. All I've done is cried. There's nothing good that I can focus on right now. I'm just full of tears. I'm full of sorrow. And then at the same point, his response is, what I need is not more time swirling in my sorrow alone. But I need to come like that deer and come back to the water again and drink again of life Again and again, and tomorrow I'm going to be thirsty and I'm going to go back again. David's not afraid to bring the wreck of his emotions before the Lord. God is not intimidated by my tears. 
or your tears. He invites me to come into his presence. You know what is interesting? Again, that this is David. I believe this is a learned response. I don't believe this is like, I think David had to learn that this was the reality. He had certainly many chapters in his story of sorrow to learn that in. And probably spent a great deal of time isolating himself or pulling back when in pain and seeing that that was not bringing him to a place of life, but it was bringing him further into a place of death. To the point that he can learn, I know what I should do and this will be hard, but the best thing for me to do is to return to the presence of the Lord. You remember when we were in elementary school and we would have fire drills? Remember those? Like, it's always fun. You're like right in the middle of class. And then the bell would go off, and then you have to go out the door and, and line up, you know, on the blacktop and not talk to anyone. I don't know why you couldn't talk to anyone, but like you weren't allowed to do that. I had to stand perfectly still and wait until the bell rang and went back in. Or my favorite, like when they would have tornado drills. Uh, at least at my school growing up, we went under our desk for some reason. I'm not sure really what a desk will do. In the, in the face of a tornado, maybe someone can give me like logic to that. I never understood that. I just thought it was fun because we like made like a tent out of our desk and we're all on the floor. Why did we do those crazy drills? Why did we do those? Why were we never like, we never had any heads up that they were happening, which is right in the middle of class. Why did they make us do that? It said that when there actually was an emergency, I knew what to do, right? Like I had, a, I had a plan. I had a strategy for what needed to happen if I faced the fire or if I faced the tornado. David, arriving at the conclusion that what I need is not more of me in this moment of sorrow, it's more of your presence, didn't just come to him naturally. Like he had to build that in. That came from time and time again of daily going back to the stream and drinking again. Not just the days when he's in the whirlpool of his emotion, but on the other days as well. He was seeking the presence of the Lord day by day, like the deer needed to drink every day. And he was banking that, he was banking that for the times when it would feel like he was feeling in the moment. You know, again, I didn't have a, a great, I didn't have a sermon outline to guide me through that dark season of my soul. And despite loss of relationship and really not knowing where to turn as far as like a human connection for some of that stuff. Praise the Lord, I didn't go away from this book. And so if you ever hear me feel, you feel maybe I'm a little passionate about getting into God's word, that's why. Because when I had nobody else to talk to and I had no other source of, of advice or guidance in that, I went here. And I let God tell me who I was. And I let him speak to me about how he felt about me. And it changed the way that I understand what he wants me to get out of this book. He doesn't just want me to get inspiration or see beautiful word pictures about deers and water. He actually wants me to, to meet me right in the middle of that swirl. So look, at, here's, here's three. I'm just going to give you three of them. These were like, these were like game changers for me. In the middle of that in my story, Psalms 34, you don't have to write these down, I'm just going to read it to you. Psalms 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. And I think about being in the presence of the Lord, that's not an image of fear or an image that he's looking at me with disgust. 
It's like, I'm the very one he wants to see. I'm the one that's, bro- I'm the brokenhearted one. I'm the crushed in spirit. And he, he is delighted to be with me in that place. Here's another one. Isaiah 42.3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. That one was deeply personal to me because I felt like I had been broken. I felt like the flame that had been there before in my life was slowly burning out. And I saw in that that God's position towards me is to not, not let me be destroyed. He will not break me. His intent is to restore me. Joel 2.25 says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. That was a powerful one for me. Because that, that particular whirlpool season in my life was about three years. It was very easy for me to look back and say, God, I don't understand why you brought me to the place that I was before this happened and the things that you were doing only to let me end up here. Like that was such a weird like turn of events to be like moving in a direction that look, this seems like this is healthy, like it is good, like you're doing, you're doing things through me, you're doing things with me and now I just feel like no one knows where I am and what am I doing anymore? And it felt like three years of my life you know, in my early 30s, no less, is gone. It's what it felt like. And so when I came upon that promise in God's word, that he would restore to me the years that the locust had eaten, that felt very personal to me. To know that all of those things, this situation, this moment in time in my life is not the end of God's purpose for me. And there's so, so many more things like that I could read you. You could read, read through my, the highlights in my, in my Bible. For whatever reason, God spoke to me a lot through the minor prophets, which is very interesting how that worked out, but a lot of hope there. God wants me to be in his presence with my brokenness. You need to hear that this morning. He's not uncomfortable with you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not ashamed of you. He knows what you need is not more of yourself isolated, but more of him and being in his presence. And he's inviting you into that reality this morning. Seeking his face is a step in the right path to experiencing that hope. Maybe some of you, this, that step for you just was getting in the door here this morning. You're like, I don't know what to do, but I hope that maybe I can find out what I should do by going to this church. And nobody knows who you are, and you haven't really introduced yourself, and you, they certainly don't know what's going on in your heart, but the Lord does. And he wants you to hear this this morning, that the hope is found in the confidence that you can go to his presence and take all of that with you. And that he's not turned off by it, but he knows he wants to give you life as you put hope in him. This is the second way this morning. The second thing that the hope that God provide, provides does is a lifeline. Is it provide, the hope God provides reminds me to celebrate the past while anticipating the future. Celebrating the past while anticipating the future. How many of you have someone in your family or maybe someone in your workplace who insists upon having a birthday month instead of a birthday? How many of you? Nobody? Really? Okay, just a couple of some of you. Some of you are like, I am not going to raise my hand because they're sitting beside me. All right, that's all right. You got your own house rules. I understand how that works, okay? There, there's some people that have that, that idea. It's like, it's a birthday for my entire month. If you have young kids, especially if you have family that live close by, 
Your like, birthdays like, definitely are at least a week, probably in your house, because you have to visit all of the other people's houses. And so like, you take your kid there, and then they get the cake, and they get the meal, and then they get the presents, and then you pack it up, and I feel like you go right to the next place, and you get the cake, and you get the meal, and you get the presents. Like, it stretches on and on and on to the point, like, I'm so sick of this birthday, all right? Why am I sharing all that? It's like, at some point, something needs to happen. There needs to be a certain acceptance of the reality that, yes, in this moment, this was a great moment, but now it's time to move on, right? <laughs> it's time to move on to the next moment that's ahead. Uh, and so if we're looking here, back at the passage here, uh, look, at, look at David. So verse 4, as he's like in the middle of the tears, he's remembering things. These are the things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And David at this moment is in exile. His son Absalom has risen up against him, and so he is not with the people of God. He's not leading them and participating in worship. This man is, is dead and upset in his core of his being. Why? Because he can't be in church with God's people. That's amazing and convicting. Like he's thinking about all the memories of the times that they experienced, all of the joy in those moments. And I wonder in that moment if he, like me, and maybe like you, there's certain moments in chapters of our life that have happened in the past that we really look back to and kind of idolize those. Like those were really special things that God did. And in our mind, because of the, the circumstances that we're currently in the middle of, it's really hard for us to see that God could ever do anything remotely like what he did there. Have you felt that before? And we can really live in that moment. We can bake and, and, and throw back, we can throw back lifelines in a way, throw it back to that moment in time saying, if I could just find the, the, the energy within me, if, if things could just change to make it like it was then, then I know I wouldn't feel the way that I do. But it's such a trap. It's such a trap to look backwards like that because one, we don't have really good memories. So one, we tend to remember things, maybe not completely in the picture of what actually happened in the past, but there may be parts that we have inflated beyond what they were. But it's also dangerous because we can't go back to the past. I'm not a time traveler. I don't think you are either. That's not possible. So if I'm holding God to the standard of, of this, this thing that I built up in my mind in the past, I'm going to miss what he's trying to do in the moment. So when David's out here saying, I'm remembering this, he returns though from that as he's reflecting on the joy of that moment. And then he goes to verse 5 and says, why are you cast down my soul? preaching to himself. Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Look at that word praise in verse 5. You know, there's actually seven words for praise in, in the Old Testament. They all kind of mean a different nuance. It's not just like I'm singing. This version of praise, the word for this is the word tada. And the idea of that is, is, is very similar to what he was remembering when the people would gather and go to the temple in procession 
uh, and the festivals that they would have every year, all of the, the tradition that went along with that, the, the huge crowds and multitudes of people going together to the temple. And what would they do when they got to the temple? Right, they would bring their sacrifices with them, right? sacrifices for sin, sacrifices to give, to give to the Lord what he had blessed them with and entrust him with that. But this word tadah really speaks to what else they brought to sacrifice. They brought a sacrifice of praise. And what, he, what I mean by that is, is they were giving God praise for things that they had not yet seen. This was preemptive praising. This wasn't like just looking back and thanking God for what he had done in the past. This was presumptive praise. This was laying my praise on the altar and, say, and daring God to act. And so why am I highlighting that? Like I said, I feel if we are so wrapped up and tied down only to the things that God has done, then we miss the opportunity to see what he says there in verse 5. The reality is I believe, the where my hope is, is I believe that I will see, be able to praise him again. That there is going to come a day when the praises of this season that I had before, that maybe I would celebrate that and I give God thanks for that, but I believe that he can do so much more abundantly than I ask or imagine now. And maybe for some of us, it's taking that, that moment in time that we've really wrapped up our identity in. Like, you guys should have seen me back then. I was awesome. Maybe we take that, that moment of celebration and praise and bring that to the altar this morning and lay that down on the fire. And as it burns, may that be a, a smell of sweet incense of praise lifting up to our God because I had the expectation, I have the hope that this isn't going to be the last time that I'm going to praise Him. What a reality to live in. There's one thing I know for sure about God. He will not give His glory to another. What do I mean by that? God wants to be praised. He loves to be praised, and he is worthy of all praise. If you believe that, then you've got to believe if he did something then that I, can, I have no, no, no doubt in my mind that it's coming around the corner again. And I'm going to have repeated opportunities to again praise him and repeated opportunities to lay a sacrifice of praise ahead of it again and say, God, show me the next one. Show me the next one. Show me the next one. And every time he receives me as I am and he takes that sacrifice, and then he follows through with that. This is also a very difficult one for me to experience personally, Justin. That is very easy to think about certain chapters in my story and say, man, I wish I could act like that again. I wish I could experience that again or be like that again. But if I had just lived in the past, I would miss the blessing of the present. And I definitely want to be ready for the blessing of the future. Hoping in God isn't a wish upon a star. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of my praise. I'm willing to lay it there in front of you, God. I'm putting all my cards on the table. I can't affect this change. Oh, I see are walls of water around me. 
But you're a God that returns to praise after praise after praise. And so I'm going to lay this in front of you. And I'm going to expect to see you give me another reason to praise. I love how he says that when he says, I shall again praise him. I can give thanks for what was and give thanks for what will be when that sacrifice is placed in his hand. This is the last one this morning as we finish. The hope that God provides rests on the stability of his love to withstand the waves of my fear. It rests on the stability of his love, which allows me to withstand the waves of my fear. He goes on verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. Once you imagine like a valley with, with twin waterfalls on either side calling out to one another, and they're filling up the valley. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. This is like the sound of a man who's drowning. I'm drowning. There's so much coming in. I can't stop it. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, they taunt me while they say to me all the day, where is your God? He's getting it from all sides. And then he repeats that beautiful phrase again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That picture of being in the valley with the water closing in. And then at the same moment in that, he's calling out to the Lord as his rock. You know, a few years ago, in that season, for me, I was actually working in a place I had to do irrigation for a large cornfield. And part of that irrigation process was that I had to put equipment in the Yadkin River, which is a nasty river, let's just be honest. Uh, but it also, uh, like many rivers, is prone to changing the depth. If it just gets a little bit of rain, the, the depth and the current changes dramatically. Normally the river I worked in, I put on some waders and I would get in the water and it usually come up right above my knees. And so I'd, I'd wade out there, I'd put the irrigation bucket into the river to capture the water and then I would get out. But what would happen is, is if there was a rainstorm, uh, I would get notifications upstri from upstream on the river that the water had risen by X number of feet. And I knew like if it was this many feet at this part of the river that in like two hours, it was going to be like astronomically higher where I was at. So I would have to rush out to the river and put on my waders and pull out the equipment before the flood came. One day, and this is thankfully is one of the last times I did this because I decided that my life was more valuable than that equipment. As I went out and it was late in the evening, it was kind of dusky, it was sort of dark. And, and uh, to be honest, no one really knew that I was there, which is also a stupid mistake on my part. I put on the waders, and I go out into the water, and I immediately recognize that the water is moving a lot faster than it had been earlier in the day. And so I get out to where the irrigation bucket is, and the water was up to here. Now, I don't know if you've ever worn a pair of waders before. Those bib waders typically only go up to about right here. You know? So the water's here, the waders are here, and there's a significant danger in that, because if the water comes over the waders and fills up the waders with water, you can drown because you can't move. It's hard to get out of that. It's like a weight that holds you to the bottom 
of the river. And so like, I'm trying to work quickly, trying to get out of there as soon as possible. I'm aware of what's going on. And as I bend, kind of take a step to grab this bucket and pull it in, I step in a hole in the river. And I fall forward. And immediately the water comes pouring in the front of the waders. I'm like scrambling with my arms, trying to grab onto, I don't know what, like above me, maybe a tree branch, there's nothing there. And just in that moment, I had the wherewithal to take a step backwards. And in doing that, there was a large rock there behind me. And I was able to push up on the rock and stand on it to the point that the water was down, down to here. And then I was able to back out slowly. Why do I, why I share that? I couldn't stop the flow of the river. I couldn't stop how much water was coming in. That was not within my control. I wasn't able to reach out around me and grab anything that was close by. The only thing that saved me was what I was standing on. Because the rock was not affected by the water. The rock was not moved by the current. The rock was stable and steady. And David here calling out, it's like, yeah, my life right now feels like I'm in a valley and the water's filling up and I can barely keep my mouth over the water. And in that moment as I'm floundering, even in the moment of doubt, and he even says like, God, have you forgotten me? But he also recognizes in the same breath, but God, you are my rock. And I'm going to stand on that. The hope didn't come from what was around him. The hope didn't come from deep within inside himself, the hope came from what he was standing on already. And it changed his perspective, and I'll leave us with this in verse 8. A different pattern of his life, he said, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Do you know what he's saying? is like, I am walking cautiously. I'm walking vulnerably. I'm walking maybe in tears today. I'm walking in in, in the waves of fear today. But in this day, I believe, God, that you are working your steadfast love for me. So much so that I believe when I get to the end of this day, before I lay down my head on the pillow, he says, his song is with me. What's David saying? He's like, I'm choosing to live my day not only one day at a time, because I can't control the future, but today I'm gonna gonna stand firmly in your steadfast love. And I believe that even by the end of this day, there will be something, something that I can look to, to lay before you as praise. It may not be the resolution of the whole whirlpool, but surely there's one way that I can see that love. I don't know about you, that's an amazing pattern to wrap our minds around and to build our lives around. Of being comfortable to go before God, first of all, with all of my emotions and know that he is not ashamed of me or thinks less of me. Two, to know that he actually invites me into his presence. That that's life for me in all the ways that I am. Broken or not, you know, not as broken in my mind, but we're all broken. We all need it. But then also in that, in that moment to give me something to stand on. If you're going to stand on something, stand on my love. You know, thinking back one last time to that picture of the whirlpool. You know, it wouldn't do a lot of good 
for that ship that's already kind of turned the edge there to throw out a line to the ship that's just behind it there. Why not? It's just a matter of time before that other ship goes in the whirlpool. See, so many of us, I believe, we send out lines wherever we can. I'm not saying it's wrong. We're reaching out for help wherever we can find it. A lot of times we're, we're tying off lifelines to other things that are going down. When what the Lord is inviting us to do is to actually drop an anchor and to grab onto the rock, the thing that cannot be moved. You may be like, I, I've looked in my day. I can't, I can't think of one thing God has done for me in this day where I've seen his love. If you're ever at that place, I want you to look at the bedrock of God's faithfulness, the love displayed in Jesus Christ. That was God's greatest display of love for you. That was God's confirmation statement that you're worth it. That was where God showed you that all of your tears, he wants to wipe those away by putting himself in that place, a place that you and I should then, a place that should be the end of things, but Jesus, the rock, defeated that. And he gives me something to stand on with hope. That it's not based upon me pulling my act together. That it's not based upon if I can just get happy. That's not based upon like my circumstances suddenly clearing up. That even in the middle of the whirlpool, I am standing firm on the rock and the waves can come as high as they want to. And I'm not gonna say that arrogantly. I may be eating tears all day because that is that difficult, but I'm not afraid because I'm convinced and confident that I am standing on what cannot be moved. You know, just to wrap up my story, I, as I told you, I didn't exactly have the clarity of this plan in an outline like I have this morning to teach you. I had to learn it, I think, while going around the whirlpool a few cycles. And I believe that's how David learns it too, and that's how many of us learn that. I'm not gonna find hope in avoiding whirlpools. I'm gonna find hope when it's tethered to Jesus Christ. And that's what he offers to you this morning. That's why it's not superficial. That's why it's not a wish upon a star because it's tied to his very character and to his person. And he's not going anywhere. So let me ask you to do something. I want you to close your eyes for a second. I said at the beginning, the hope of the Lord is a lifeline for his people. Do you see that this morning? Have you experienced that? Are you desiring to experience that this morning? Like that is offered to you afresh today. Whether you've walked with Jesus for 20 years or whether today is the first day some of this is starting to make sense, that promise is yours. He wants you in his presence. He's not ashamed of you. He wants to give you life. He wants you to see your life not just in chapters of good things that happened in the past, but chapters of praise after praise after praise. Because he is faithful and he is steady and his love is unchanging. Let me pray for us this morning. God, thank you so much that these are true things. 
God, I know that we, we wrestle. This life is, is a wrestling match, honestly, with, with our emotions, God, with dealing with the realities of brokenness in our life. God, we are all broken people. We all need you. Oftentimes we are afraid to come to you because we're afraid you're going to be ashamed of us or turned off by our tears or we're ashamed of what someone else might think about us. They might think our faith is weak because we're struggling. I pray we can bring the reality of what we're experiencing to you and know that you hear and you care. I pray that we're, we're anchoring deep into the rock of Jesus Christ. And that not only is he the, the bedrock of your faithfulness, something that we can count on, but God, I pray over the years as the praises come in, that there are countless other rocks that are personal to us of your faithfulness that we can stand on with all confidence. So I know that's where you want us to live, confident in your love. I thank you for the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. I pray we might look for it and live in it every single day. It's in his name I pray, amen.